This winter, Hulu and Disney Plus are better together in a brand new bundle. That's wicked. Wicked good. With titles like Disenchanted and Willow on Disney Plus. And Fleischman is in trouble. And welcome to Chippendales on Hulu. I love this place. All for just $9.99 a month. All of these and more now streaming. 18 and over only. Access content from each service separately. Offer valid for eligible subscribers only. Terms apply. See the DisneyBundle.com for details. Today is a new day. Today is the day that your voice will be heard. Today you will learn more about how you will free yourself from domestic abuse. Welcome to your new life. My name is Dr. Ludi Green, and I'm the host of the podcast Ending Domestic Abuse. I'm a certified leadership and life coach. I help more than a thousand women regain their freedom. In these podcasts, you will hear from top experts in the world of domestic abuse. And you will hear from abused women who found a way out. Together, we'll offer you emotional support and practical ideas. You can free yourself from abuse now. So far on this podcast, we have focused on domestic abuse here in the United States. We have spoken to American justices, authors, and military leaders who are working hard to prevent violence and save victims. However, domestic violence is a global phenomenon. Just as domestic abuse can impact any person regardless of their wealth, race, or location here in the United States, likewise, domestic violence is not confined to a particular country or part of the world. By sharing stories of violence against women in other countries and interviewing global advocates, I hope to both make you see just how prevalent domestic violence is in the world, as well as to gain inspiration and ideas that we can use in our communities at home. We will be right back after this short break. Welcome back. This is Dr. Ludi Green, your host. Today, we'll have the pleasure of hearing from Dr. Emma Fulu, a violence against women activist who lives and works in Melbourne, Australia. Australia's national domestic violence statistics show about one in six women experience sexual or physical abuse by an intimate partner at some point in their lives. Each year, more than 20,000 women in Australia seek shelter or take out protective orders on their abusers. Despite regional campaigns and the work of activists to combat violence, however, Australia has experienced an increase in domestic violence protective orders, violations, and calls to domestic violence hotlines. Trends in domestic violence are on the rise across the land, down under, and show this stain on society and that is not going too quickly. Dr. Fulu has dedicated her life to changing that. She has worked on projects to prevent gender-based violence many years in Australia with the United Nations Leads Female Empowerment Programs in South Africa. In 2015, Dr. Fulu founded the Equality Institute an organization dedicated to preventing violence against women and girls worldwide. Based in Melbourne, Australia, the Institute works with over 20 countries to research and build effective domestic violence prevention programs and collaborates with governments as well as globally recognized charitable organizations in the fight against gender violence 
including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Oxfam, an Oxford-based major charitable organization focusing on alleviating global poverty. Welcome to Dr. Emma Folu. We are so excited to have you on the podcast today, and I'm so looking forward to hear our conversation, discussion, and what's going on right now in Australia. So welcome, Emma, to my program, Ending Domestic Abuse. Thank you, Dr. Ludi Green. So great to be here. We have a few questions for you, and we would like to know your insights, all the information that you may have for us so we can have a better perspective about what's, what's happening related to domestic violence and gender-based violence in Australia, as well sure. as the current situation that you all are having during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I'm going to start with the first question. Dr. Fulo, as a fellow activist that you are, I know that there's passion to make a difference for good in the life of others. Would you care to tell our listeners of the source of your passion and story or what drove you to become a champion for domestic violence victims? Thank you. Yes, I think, like you said, I think many people who work in this space come with a deep passion to this work. I think for me personally, even from when I was a young child, I felt a strong calling, I guess, to do work that made a difference in the world, to try and make the world a better place in some way. And I think as I grew up as a, as a young girl and then as a, a teenager and woman, you know, I saw, witnessed and, and heard about different experiences of violence, abuse and discrimination against women and girls around the world. And I just felt very compelled to work on that issue. And after I finished my studies, I went to the Maldives, which is where my father's family is from, to start working with the government there on gender issues. And I started actually at the Ministry of Gender when I was in my early 20s. And one of the first things they asked me to do was to look into the issue of domestic violence. They knew that it was a problem in the country, but they didn't have any data to understand the rates of violence or what types of violence were being experienced. And so my first role was really to, to try and understand that issue better. And I collaborated there with the World Health Organization and we led the first national study on domestic violence and violence against women in the Maldives. And that study and, you know, traveling the islands and speaking to women all over the country about their experiences was, was both very humbling, I think, and also inspiring in the sense that, you know, I guess it galvanized my, my passion and determination to continue to work on this issue for the rest of my life. How exciting to start in the Maldives and yeah. also that, you know, yeah, I mean, what a wonderful place. And not only that, your contribution and listening to women in totally different, you know, country and the perspectives are different. And, and mm. yeah, I imagine in many years ago, so everything changed. Also, you have founded the Equality Institute in 2015, which mission is to prevent violence against women and girls worldwide. Please tell us briefly about your organization. Sure. So the Equality Institute, yeah, I founded it in 2015. I've been working on the issue of violence against women for nearly 20 years. But after I had three little children, including a set of twins, I was working in Thailand and then South Africa. And, you know, to be honest, I, I kind of just burnt out with all the travel and with three little children and trying to do the work I was doing at the time. And so I came back home to Australia you know, to be near to family and 
to try and figure out a way that I could continue the work that I was passionate about, but in a way that I guess balanced my life as a as a new mother and and so I actually founded the Equality Institute with this idea of continuing to do this this work to end violence against women but to try and create an organization that you know really lived its values and supported the women working in the organization you know and centered self and collective care to really be able to to balance work and life and and continue this work so so we're now, we grew quite quickly and we're a global feminist agency working now across 20 plus countries. And our purpose is really to advance gender equality and support violence prevention efforts to thrive. And we do that through a number of core strategies. One is research. We do a lot of research in various different countries to understand the problem and to understand what, what is effective in preventing violence. And then we also have a communication strategies where we engage with the public and policymakers and others to communicate that evidence and best practice around what works to prevent violence. And then we also work in the space of feminist leadership and policy advocacy. So yes, we've worked, as you said, with a number of people. We partner with local women's organisations as well as the United Nations and Oxfam, the World Bank, etc., and we use that sort of partnership model to, to conduct studies around the world, train practitioners, practitioners and policymakers, and sort of advance this agenda of ending violence against women. Congratulations on the extraordinary work you're doing. And I imagine with three little kids, how you build all this. <laughs> and for at least you, had, you could do it from your country, but still you had to travel many times in missions i'm sure yes to continue the creating the partnerships and build it is it was i'm sure it was very challenging and still it is but very much so excited about listening about the mission and all the work you are doing still to fight violence against women and thank you for it i have a question on your research you state the best way to protect women and girls from violence is to stop it before it starts mm. would you elaborate what this statement means and how it can be implemented to drive positive change in society? Yeah, sure. So sometimes from a public health perspective, we talk about, you know, primary prevention and tertiary prevention. Basically, primary prevention means, as you said, trying to stop violence happening before it starts. And that's mm -hmm. different from response, which is about providing support and services to survivors of violence. And obviously, response services are very critical and we, you know, they have to be the sort of foundation of our work. But we cannot reduce today's high levels of violence by supporting one survivor at a time. To stop it happening in the first place, we must address the underlying causes of the violence. And we know that is about gender inequality and unequal power relations between men and women as well as other risk factors such as childhood trauma and other forms of discrimination, substance abuse, etc. So really prevention or stopping violence before it starts is about addressing those root causes and then fundamentally, you know, changing the, the social norms and structures within our society so we create a more equitable society where violence isn't tolerated. You work as an activist against domestic violence in Australia for years, as mm -hmm. well as in over 20 countries. Tell us what your research shows are the major factors besides domestic violence in Australia, and how do they compare in similarities and differences with other countries? 
Sure. So, you know, Australia actually has a national framework on the prevention of violence against women. And within that framework, based on, you know, all of the research and evidence, they clearly identify the gender drivers of violence, as well as what they call in Australia, what we call in Australia, the reinforcing factors. So the gender drivers of violence, or, you know, what are the major factors causing violence, are these particular expressions of gender inequality. And there's four of them that we talk about. One is condoning of violence against women. So, you know, making excuses, justifying, condoning, minimising experiences of violence. The Mm -hmm. second area is men's control of decision-making and limits to women's independence in public and private life. And the third is rigid gender roles or, you know, sort of stereotype constructions of masculinity and femininity, so what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And the fourth area is around male-peer relations that emphasise aggression and disrespect towards women. So they're the kind of, I guess, root causes or drivers of violence in Australia, but they can be reinforced by other things like experience or exposure to violence as a child, harmful use of alcohol, socioeconomic inequality, backlash factors, other areas of, of, of inequality around you know, race or disability, et cetera. So that's sort of the framework within Australia. In terms of how it sort of compares, how it's similar or different to other countries, I would say that, you know, in many ways the evidence shows globally that across all countries violence against women is is primarily, you know, driven by gender inequality and these unequal power relations. So that, I think, is consistent across countries. But there are some differences. So some countries we might find that there's a stronger influence of certain norms that justify violence or normalise violence. You know, in some places we see that it's considered quite normal to discipline a wife if she is seen to step outside of her traditional gender role, for example. I think in other countries you see the influence of discriminatory laws around property ownership, marriage, divorce, etc., playing more of a significant role than, say, it does in Australia or potentially the US. And then I think, you know, other factors come into play, countries that in conflict or post-conflict settings where there's high rates of violence and crime in general, we tend to also see higher rates of, of violence against women. So they're the similarities and differences, I would say. What do you see as the role of personal finances for victims of domestic violence? Have you seen any initiatives in Australia or other countries to address financial sustainability and independence Mm. for victims of violence? Yes, it's interesting. You know, I think the area of economic abuse we know is, is one component of violence against women. But actually, there's been less research done and less data available about financial abuse and perhaps other areas of violence, say physical and sexual violence. So unfortunately, in Australia, we don't actually have very reliable estimates of the prevalence of economic or financial abuse. But we do Mm -hmm. know that it seems to be part of, you know, a combination of experiences. So women often experience financial abuse in combination with you know, psychological abuse or, or physical abuse as well. And that we, for example, there's some studies in Australia that found that of the women who sought support from domestic and family violence services, 
that about 80-90% of those reported experiencing financial abuse. So there's a lot more we need to understand in that in that regard. But I think also what we've seen in Australia and globally, that there is a relationship or there can be a relationship between women's economic empowerment or their autonomy, I guess, financial autonomy, and their experiences of violence against women. Whether that's, for example, if they don't have access to employment or land or you know, they don't have inheritance rights, for example, they're more likely to stay stuck in abusive relationships or more likely to experience severe forms of violence. So certainly there are some programs that have been, you know, shown to be successful in reducing rates of violence by combining economic empowerment initiatives, including things like cash transfers with gender and human rights kind of based training. And we have seen that those, some of those programs have been quite effective in, you know, diverse countries from South Africa to parts of South Asia. So I think there's a lot of potential for more work to be done in that area, but it's still an emerging area where we need more research. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now going to another subject, this is about the impacts of COVID-19 on domestic mm-hmm. abuse victims and your work in Australia. What strategies have you used to continue to help victims while working around barriers caused by the pandemic? Yeah, so obviously the pandemic has definitely, I guess, worsened the violence against women crisis. You know, we see emerging data that rates of violence, rates of domestic violence have increased during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've also seen in Australia a recent study showing that a large proportion of women have experienced violence from their partners for the first time during this pandemic. And so, you know, we see that it's certainly exacerbating the risk risk factors for violence with people, particularly those in, in lockdown and, you know, not that them, what that means in, in terms of them not being able to access support services. But in terms of what I think has been going well, I think it's, or what people have been trying to do, I think there's been great innovation in some ways where, you know, support services and organisations have had to move online and really try and provide remote support to, to survivors and to those who are at risk of violence. And so that's been challenging, but I've also seen, you know, I guess great, great resilience and innovation from those organisations. I think we've seen, we've seen quite a lot of both mainstream media and social media campaigns that are challenging, you know, highlighting, you know, raising the visibility of violence against women and children as, as an issue during this time but also trying to challenge the stereotypes around gender issues, trying to encourage, I guess, men's role in caring responsibilities, for example, and really challenge some of those those more entrenched stereotypes that can underpin violence. I've seen, you know, there's, I think, potential to use sort of our online learning and distance education programs that are, that are being sort of developed further during this crisis to look at, for example, discussions around healthy relationships and appropriate use of technology and life skills, comprehensive sexuality education. So we're seeing some of those being newly incorporated into distance learning methods. I've seen that not just in Australia, but in, in other countries. And I think that's really vital information that can be provided through those channels. 
And I think, you know, in a, in other countries, I've seen you know, adaptations of community mobilization efforts. So a lot of work being done with communities and specific partners or men and boys within the community and really thinking about how if there's if people can't meet in groups, then transforming that work in through online means, through radio and television and different working with different stakeholders such as faith and local leaders. And so I see, you know, really women's organizations and grassroots organizations on the ground really taking those innovative, you know, steps to to do whatever they can to continue to to support women experiencing violence, but also to continue the prevention work that they've been doing for many, many years as well. I'm very glad to hear that you con- you were continuing the work and provide the services needed for victims of violence. We were very challenged in the United States. At one point, shelters were all shut down mm. and we couldn't serve. I mean, there was no place to, to let any woman come in, go in, you know, and we had to find other alternatives like hotels. But even mm. then... It was very difficult. So I'm very excited that the work was done in your country and in other countries that you know. So I think those challenges have definitely been felt too. I know, you know, for example, hotels and were also being used as shelters here. And I think, you know, despite these efforts, there, without a doubt, there is still absolutely a lack of a fundamental lack of enough resources being invested mm-hmm. in this work. You know, in in all countries, I would say. So it's. It's certainly there's, you know, you see good examples, but but really also very, very, like you said, very challenging situations where, you know, people are struggling to get the support that they need. And that's very challenging and upsetting. That is so true. So listen, finally, Dr. Fulu, you have seen the issue of domestic violence all over the world. I know from working with victims here in the U.S. that this work can sometimes be disheartening Mm. and frustrating. Mm. Are you optimistic about a future with less or even greatly diminished domestic violence? Yes, I am. I mean, I think I'm a very fundamentally optimistic person, but also I have seen, you know, I see real changes happening on the ground. And I think we have really clear evidence now that violence is preventable. So we've seen, you know, a number of, of programs in countries demonstrate significant reductions in rates of violence over relatively short periods of time. You know, there's a program in that was started in Uganda called Sasa that showed a decrease in, in rates of violence of 50% over just, you know, three to four years. We've seen a, a study actually with Dr. Mary Ellsberg from Nicaragua showing that over a 30-year period that at the population at the national level, there's been significant decreases in, in rates of violence overall. So I can see that change is happening. And even in, in Australia, I see, you know, the level of investment in this issue, the, the public discourse around this issue has fundamentally changed in a positive way, even in just the last 10 years. We also have you know, violence against women is there's a target under the Sustainable Development Goal agenda. So really at the highest levels of United Nations and governments, we see this issue on the agenda. So I see there's been great progress in that regard. And so that certainly gives me hope. And I think also I'm fortunate, very fortunate to work with and alongside amazing women all over the world who you know, leading leading this fight to end violence against women and have been doing so for for decades. And it's their, you know, resilience and passion and power that I think gives me the most hope that 
that we, we will see a future where women and girls are free from violence. Thank you so much, Dr. Fulu, for your answers and your insights. We're going to take a short break to thank some sponsors. And when we come back, Dr. Fulu will answer some questions for our listeners. Ending Domestic Abuse is brought to you by Audible. Something you need to know about me is that I love to multitask. I'm a businesswoman, public policy advocate, mother, a wife, wearing multiple hats at the, at the same time. I'm always looking for ways to continue learning and to use my time more efficiently. Audible has been a great resource for me. I can access thousands of audiobooks from the palm of my hand and listen to them as I commute to work, during exercise routines, and during what I call my time. Listeners who enjoyed our last episode about self-care will love Audible's huge list of self-help books, as well as their guided wellness programs. Long-term listeners of the podcast who remember our episode with author Leslie Morgan Steiner can find her book, Crazy Love, on Audible. It is so important to continue to learn and improve yourself. You are worth it. Don't wait. Head to www.audibletrial.com ending domestic abuse to start your free trial today. All proceeds will go to improving the lives of domestic violence victims. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash ending domestic abuse. Welcome back to Ending Domestic Abuse Podcast. Today we're talking with Dr. Emma Fulu from Melbourne, Australia. And now, Dr. Fulu will take some questions from our listeners. We'll start with a question from Sheila from Boston, Massachusetts. She's a new mother and experiencing emotional abuse and frustration. She has left her job to care for her child. She says, I need my life back. Dr. Folu, what should I do? Thank you for that question. You know, first thing I think I would say is, you know, that I'm sure you no doubt are a very strong, brave woman, even to be able to send that question in and to 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 share your experiences. And so I think the first thing to acknowledge is that any abuse that you're experiencing is not your fault and that you don't deserve that that abuse or those experiences. And then I think the second thing is to if you feel comfortable to start to talk to someone. And that could be whoever feels safest to you. That could be a friend, a family member, a work colleague to reach out and get help. And, and thirdly, I would say definitely to reach out to formal services. In, in every city, there will be domestic violence hotlines that you can call and centres that you can reach out to who really have the expertise and systems to be able to support you in your journey to take the steps that, that you want to take to ensure your own you know, health and wellbeing and, and support. So I would say that you're not alone. So many women around the world would be in similar experiences to you and know that there is support and help out there and that uh, we wish you the best. Thank you, Dr. Fulo. So there's a second question. This coming from Mary from San Diego, California. She says, I have been a victim of violence in the hands of my dad since I was three years old. Now I'm in my last year of college. I have a lot of resentment and I have had a hard time finding friends and even a lover. I suffer from anxiety and depression. What is your advice for me, Dr. Fulu? 
Thank you, Mary. Again, I would say, you know, my, I'm very sorry that you have experienced that growing up. Again, it's not uncommon, unfortunately. And we do know that, you know, experiences we have during childhood can really have a very significant impact on, you know, our physical, mental health and experiences growing up and into adulthood. So, you know, your experiences that you're talking about of of being in college and finding things challenging and experiencing depression and anxiety, I think is is very common for those who have experienced abuse as children. So I guess, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a qualified, you know, psychologist or, and I don't want to give to my advice is, is really just from, from the work that I've done over the years, but I would say that it, it, it would be wonderful if you could, you know, reach out for, for support and whether that's through, you know, domestic violence services or through counselling and, and psychologists and maybe even at the university, there might be support services for those who have experienced abuse in different periods of their lives. And I'm, sometimes there's even community groups of, of others who, who, you could, who you could connect with who would be able to relate to and understand your own experiences and you could potentially build of friendships and, and relationships and a support network through those community groups. Thank you once again to our guest, Dr. Emma Folu from Melbourne, Australia. And thank you to our listeners. No matter who you are or where you live, you can find help and you can find a way out of abuse. Don't wait before it's too late. Send us an email through our website at ludigreen.com. That's ludigreen.com. Or you can call our hotline at 202 that's 202-643-2327, we will help you find a way out to freedom. You can also help Stop Abuse by spreading word out of our podcast. Just go on to Spotify and please give us a five-star rating or share your comments. Thank you again. And together, let's all find the life you deserve. On our next show, we have as our guest, renowned plastic surgeon, Dr. Ronald Perlman, former chairman of Second Chance Employment Services, the first and only employment placement agency in the United States for domestic violence victims. Until then, stay safe and blessings. Blessings.